I didn't focus on trying to create a product that I can sell the fastest and get into retail stores and scale it up to this massive factory. Yes, that is most people's goal when they start a new product-based business, but I look at it as, okay, can I run this business without doing all of that, still make the same impact, maybe not make as much money, but in the long term, create such an impact that through other opportunities, I can generate that money. Welcome to the 1UP Project. Money is fuel that that allows you to do things. It doesn't need to be taboo. What you don't want to do is wake up at 65 realizing you did something you hated and have regret. Go and find people who will give you advice for nothing. This is a space for personal growth and money chat with new perspectives every Monday. This bit of content, listening to this, is going to be a small little breadcrumb of something that makes them think a little bit differently. For all the things we were never taught but should have been. At the end of the day, the most important person is yourself. And if you're not happy with your own choices, then you're never going to be happy. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the One Up Project podcast. Today, I had the pleasure, like seriously, the pleasure of interviewing Haya, the founder of Masala Sense, which is a thriving side hustle turned full-time venture for her. After experiencing the support within the Instagram business community when she launched the business, she then went on to launch Masala Bazaar, which is a platform that fosters vulnerability, growth and mindful shopping for entrepreneurs and consumers alike and especially supporting those entrepreneurs within the South Asian community. And I really wanted to get Haya's take on the challenges that are faced by people wanting to start a business, um, and especially those within the South Asian communities down here in New Zealand and in Aotearoa and what, what that's like. I also wanted to hear her perspective on what has made a successful business since she's seen so many people come through her platform Masala Bazaar which does exist to create that community where other businesses are building up each other in order to fulfill their dreams you know of having a business that is their full-time gig and experiencing the flexibility I suppose that comes with entrepreneurship over employment Um, and we speak about the pros and cons of either side and I think it was just a really insightful discussion. Hire and I Interestingly enough, we have very similar perspectives on what business is to us and what it means, but we have completely different experiences that led to that, I think. And having this conversation with her was a real honor for me to be able to gain a new perspective and strengthen my own. I'm really looking forward to all hearing this episode and luckily I will stop talking now and you can listen. Let me know what you think and we'll chat soon. Hiya, welcome to the podcast. I am so happy to have you here. I wanted to first ask you, you know, what Masala Bazaar means to you. Can you explain it to us? Thank you for having me, Sarah. Um, Masala Bazaar means a community. In itself, it means not only a community for entrepreneurs, it means a community for our customers. I know that so many times people have bumped into each other, um, friends, family. Um, One of the best stories I have is that when we actually set up the first market, um, a customer came up to me and thanked me because of the market. She reconnected with a friend she hadn't met in years, um, who was one of the vendors. And so whether that's people connecting because they're customers or whether that's businesses connecting to network 
or um, people wanting to get into business that are South Asian that don't really know where to start, who know they can approach us. It all comes back to building that network and community. And that's what it's all about for me. Yeah, it's awesome because it seems like that connection, that community are very important themes of why this exists in the first place and it is there to kind of support the the connection and the success of South Asian entrepreneurs and how have you set up the business to do that? Like when you were like, this needs to be a community about connection, how did you kind of establish what Masala Bazaar was going to look like? Um, I think it started on accident honestly just like everything good does um we were coming out of lockdown in 2020 and we'd built up such an awesome community online where we'd all like talk and connect with each other and um, my mum was shopping for my wedding at the time and she would be looking at vend- she'd be asking me for stuff and she would be like how where do I find this or where can I get this or there'd be other friends who asked me the same thing so I'm like how cool would it be if all these people that I know that do all of these things that people are like having to go and manually search for right now, we're like in one space. So coming out of lockdown, we set up like in market day, we just put in together $30 each or 30, 40, something like that. Um, and we got Fickling Convention Center. And that whole idea of it was that it was all even like we it wasn't like I was setting it up and then I was going to like, you know, they were going to be paying me all these extra fees just to run it even though I'm selling there as well um so we set up that market day and the whole point of it was I guess to level the playing ground because at that time for businesses like ours we didn't quite felt like we fit into the general markets everyone goes to but we also didn't feel like we could afford the markets that were already set up for our community and so it kind of felt in this weird in-between space which I was like well we need to do something about because there's so many of us I'm sure we can do something if all of us come together. I think that that aspect of people feeling like they belong is so important. And especially when you're embarking on like an entrepreneurial journey, it can be something that people can tend to feel so uh, alone in. And I know for you, you're really passionate about entrepreneurship. So like, how have you, like, why do you think that's so important to you? What does being an entrepreneur represent in your eyes? I think it just means being creative, to be honest. Like, it means a lot of things. But for me, what I love about being an entrepreneur is being creative. And I talked about this recently on my page as well. It's like, you have to be a really quick problem solver. Um, so when, you be, when you're creative and you're solving problems in the world, it's, it's, just, an, it's just another buzz. As, um, as opposed to, I guess, hand, like having your tasks decided for you or having your projects decided for you. And there's absolutely nothing wrong in that either. But I think being an entrepreneur to me just means that you, you're you not going to have your days look the same. You, what you are doing, you're going to see the immediate impact of what you're doing. And you're just going to have to be a really good problem solver as well. So I get, I guess it scratches an itch in my brain <laughs> is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, no, I, I love that. I think... Um something that's really interesting is we sort of had a bit of a conversation around this when we we're talking about this episode and how you know why the South Asian community might take a route of entrepreneurship over maybe a typical career you know trying to go up the ladder and what challenges or benefits um, are there as a result like what kind of challenges have you seen for maybe South Asian people within their careers in a New Zealand context I suppose and why entrepreneurship might be have been a better option for them 
there's so many when we start to unpack them. Mm. Um, and one of the main ones is just being seen in spaces, right? Like being represented in spaces. Like it's hard enough for women as it is, um, all women, to try and get to places of leadership and being recognized and authority. And that, once you add in the aspect of being South Asian, being, um, you know, outwardly um, expressing a religion, whether that is any of the South Asian religions that are there, um, not just Islam. You know, I know women that wear bindis to work. I know women that would wear, um, you know, any other. Uh, I, I had a colleague who was uh, South Asian but Christian, but she was the only one that had like rosemaries on her. When, we, when we're South Asian, we express our religion, we do it quite um, without being ashamed of it. But mm. when we get into the workplace, it's not to say that there's no space for it in the workplace. It's like um, there's power dynamics, there are relationships, there are um, social cues that not only push women in general back, women of color. There, it's a whole other ballgame because there's not even enough of us in the leadership position that um, we can look up to and say, how did how did I get here? How do how do I get how am I how can I become you? And unfortunately, because of the overarching problem of tall poppy syndrome within New Zealand that applies to everyone, not just South Asians, when someone does manage to get there, especially if they're from a previous generation, the their willingness to mentor another person who come up and potentially they would see as a threat. Mm. It's very low, which is why I um, I was recently talking to my old boss, who is the lawyer I worked for. And I was just, I just popped over to say, basically thank her because I was lucky enough to get mentors, to be in spaces with South Asian women in leadership that were willing to be honest with me, that were willing to train me, that were willing to just look at me and tell me, you need to stick with your creative career. And that's honestly one of the biggest challenges, just lack of leadership, lack of mentorship, lack of seeing yourself represented in places that are already difficult enough. And then you get into spaces where you just don't really fit into any category, but that you can't really create your own category because you're, um, you're shaking the box too much, you know, mm-hmm. you're, you're um, rattling the system a bit too much. So that's why you... I'm just seeing more and more of us just choosing to be an entrepreneur, whether that's within the category that they've already you know, studied in, whether that's starting their own law firm, accounting firm, um, whatever it might be. It's just they're they're doing, they're putting their head down, they're doing their time, and then they're like, this is it for me. Mm, that is so important. I spoke to a guest of mine recently uh, who was a refugee that um, – came from Afghanistan to New Zealand as an asylum seeker initially. And we spoke about this concept of identity and, you know, what it means when you come to another country and you're sort of in this in-between of two identities, especially when you were kind of raised from a young age in that place. And it sounds like, you know, that feeling of being seen is so crucial. But when you're kind of stuck between identities I can only imagine that becomes even more difficult so do you think that a route of entrepreneurship allows people to be able to represent themselves as their identity rather than having to fit that identity into work 100 percent 100 percent I think what's really difficult about 
ident like like you just said like you have to navigate and find your own identity between all these identities right when when you choose a route of entrepreneurship there's no one or there's no organization no longer telling you how to act how to behave how to present yourself right so there's one element taken out of it when you choose a route of entrepreneurship it's like okay there's one element of the world like the world's already asking you to be things right the world's already asking you to be things the society is asking you to be something your family is asking you to be something because that's a big one with south asians your um you know your upbringing here your schools probably raised you to be something and then you get into the workplace and then they also ask you to be something for me for example i did not understand like corporate social cues for the longest time i grew up out west i went to rutherford we were relaxed we were you know super chill um my teachers bless their hearts i'm i still am friends with them because they literally raised me and we were taught to be ourselves like there was no point that i was told to tame myself down or there was no point we were told taught politics and i got into law school and i was hearing words that i was like yeah i'm aware of i'm aware this exists because my grandpa comes from a legal and corporate background back home i just thought it didn't exist here so then you go through this whole journey of like finding all your identities and then you get into the workplace and then you have to figure it out all over again. Mm. And so mm. you get to a point where you're like, which identity do I choose? Which one values to me and which one am I bothered putting in an effort with? And for me, my most authentic one was when I was in high school, when um, I was, instead of being told to calm myself down or mold myself into something it was like, okay these are your strengths how are you going to use them to be your best self you're not gonna get you're not gonna get rid of anything because it doesn't work for your nine to five or your career or the corporate ladder you're gonna keep all of them you're gonna see how is this gonna best serve me in what I want to do uh, it just sounds confusing for you because and yeah. probably a little bit stressful as well because you're having to almost make this decision of quite early on in your life really like who who do I want to be and who am I going to be now on exactly because with South Asian especially women even though we're here now uh, there's another aspect right you figure out your work identity and then for for a lot of us we get married and even if we're not um, attached to any of our families we still have obligations to our families more so than you know um, other other cultures within the country and then that's a whole other identity to navigate. So it's like you're going through your life and as a South Asian, you are you are constantly changing identity. And as all people do, we have it just a bit more than others. So it's like if there's one identity that you can choose to have complete control over, that kind of pushes you into the entrepreneurship route mm. even more. Mm, that's so interesting. Yeah, because you do have that control that sense of safety and being able to sit in a place that you have created and designed for whatever that authentic identity is versus, you know, you fitting yourself into one that's already been created based on previous expectations yeah. or whatever of that culture and that community. We spoke about representation earlier and, you know, that is so important and, and you mentioned something about feeling seen and being seen and, and how that doesn't tend to happen in those typical work or corporate environments mm. and it's interesting because even though we talk about representation being so important if people don't initially feel seen and aren't supported to 
show that authentic identity, then the representation won't come as a result because people didn't feel comfortable and safe to be themselves to begin with. So from your yeah. perspective, what does it mean to feel seen? Like what what does that, how can someone support you to feel and to be seen? I think the best, like I think I have a really good example of this recently is um, MP... Priyanka Radhakrishnan and MP Vinushi Balsh came to store, right? And they, I think for the first time ever, I felt represented because they were just like, you know, they were just super down to earth and everything we talked about in regards to the journey of getting to places in leadership as brown women was very relatable. And it was, you know, the same thing of like hitting burnout and um, not feeling particularly fulfilled in our careers or um, especially the legal career, just our relationship around it. And I think I think the number one thing we need to feel represented is for South Asians and leadership to be honest with the conversations they're having with people that they're around. So you know that when you're trying to, like just like we have the male gaze in media literature, we also have something called I'm not sure if this is the right term, but you know, the the white gaze, right? And as South Asians, we tend to somehow fall into this trap of thinking we have to cater to the majority when we're speaking. And that is important. But sometimes when you're catering to the majority so much, you leave behind the people who are the minority, who actually need to hear your voice, who actually need to see that it's okay to be mm. in those spaces. And you need to, you just need to be your authentic self. That's all. You don't need to put on any anything on your on your I guess get up to make yourself seem more um to please the majority you know to mm. to make yourself and I guess that comes from a place of insecurity as well uh, sometimes not sorry not insecurity um when we try to cater to the majority so much we do feel insecure of being left out or we mm. do feel insecure of, you know um maybe we don't earn this place but you're also doing people coming up behind you a disservice because then you're leading that path. You're still saying that you still have to put on a cloak and um, be your be in your inauthentic self in order to get ahead. Um, and I think representation is just being your authentic self, whether that means... And it's such a nuanced thing to speak about because you can just look at someone in a position of leadership or in a higher up or in a space which is predominantly doesn't have people that look at us and just just know that they're being their inauthentic selves and it's something that is very difficult to describe in words but it's just just relax I guess just relax and let us know that it's safe to come up just make it safe for other people to step in you know hand the mic to them um and don't don't make the rest of everyone feel as they also need to leave their authentic selves behind in order to get ahead. Yeah, I'm asking you to articulate something very difficult. So I, yes. I appreciate you, you know, giving us some context and trying yeah. to explain that because it's yeah. not just a black and white, it's this, so it needs to exactly. be that yeah. kind of situation. Exactly, because there's so much more representation now in terms of like social media or media, right? So I think I think they're, they're hitting it on the nail on the head there right now but when I speak about representation I'm I guess I'm more honing in on the workspace 
like the you know the the corporate space or any other spaces where people are seen but we're seeing South Asians sort of turn away from and why that might be it's difficult because I suppose the people above who who you want to kind of set that path and say you don't need to put your authentic self to the side have also been of course torn down by those biases and those other problems and so they're battling this kind of situation yeah and I think for me it was it was always sort of like my um I was very lucky because my family back home like um they're I always say this to my mom, like, you didn't have the typical immigrant mom journey. Like, she came here, she had a job. My grandpa was a um, government officer. So I, I do recognize that I come with with all my personal, with all the other struggles aside, I do come from a privileged background when it comes to education and career. And my mom always said to me that it doesn't matter how higher up you get in life. Your culture is your culture. And she would, you know, she'd always wear shalwar kameez, which is our traditional garment. Um, whenever we went outside, we'd go to the mall. And I remember getting to a point when I was around intermediate, I'd get embarrassed. And I'd be like, oh, maybe you shouldn't. And she's like, no, um, people can't come to our country and learn our language within the time that we learned English. They can't come and adapt the same way that we've adapted. And that's not to say we shouldn't adapt. It's to say that there's nothing to be ashamed about. Mm. She, that we we have to, if we don't continue to be proud of ourselves we're going to let go of everything that we have so that's not to say to force it down anyone or to um say that you know we shouldn't adapt but it's to say we can carry both you can you can be you can excel in the new culture that you've adopted in the new country you've come to you can celebrate all of their values while also being true to your own like they don't it doesn't have to be one or the other Absolutely. And it does seem like it's quite, the more I learn, I suppose, especially about Western society, the more I see this obvious pattern of things tend to be black and white or people tend to see things as it has to be one or the other. Two things can't exist at once. And I feel that that is often quite a dangerous mindset to have because it doesn't allow for all the intricacies of different cultures or whatever upbringings anything in someone's experience I agree I think it's I think that was the biggest thing is knowing that we can have both and then that I think that was instilled in me so deeply that when I did have conversations with people and I found them not being able to do both I'd always sort of stop and ask myself well why is that because sometimes it is it is more deep rooted than just migrating. It is it does come back to all of the historical baggage and everything you know the the sub South Asian um you know Indian subcontinent went through with partition. It's just that mentality of like like at home. Um, my grandpa obviously like I keep coming back to of the background is he grew up in corporate back home, so that meant he in his seventies now was doing corporate straight after partition, right? So all of the etiquette, all of the all of the formalities and all of the things in order to be proper within his own country were based in English values. Mm. So whether that was the dining etiquette or living etiquette or polishing your china till it literally gleams until the last sparkle, like these things that were not found commonly in other, you know, Pakistani households were instilled in us 
because that is what he was taught was appropriate from that time. So coming back to even the, what we were talking about earlier about representation, that sometimes it's not even um, that it's in the workplace that you've been torn down or been made mm. to feel like in it. it's literally from within your own household as a result of something that dates back so, so long ago. Absolutely. Yeah, that generational trauma and just generational differences over time. Exactly. And when all of that, like you get, like like what you were saying, it's so nuanced. Like when all of that amalgamates, not only does each South Asian have their own individual experience, whether that's that they're Tamil or whether that's their, um, uh, you know, from Bangladesh or India or Pakistan, like everyone has their own. We have refugees, we have... Um, we have so much going on within that continent like we have so much going on that I as one person can try but I can't speak for everyone Mm. but um there is just that thing of the sooner everyone like I guess they just step away from this another world that's trying to box them in and step into entrepreneurship because like we said it's just your identity is already so complex it's less stressful to have to define another one (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely, and you shouldn't necessarily have to if you don't want to either. Uh, And having those people there to support and guide you through, whether it's, you know, your life in general, your career, or your entrepreneurial journey, like you touched on is so important, mentors, and something I always tend to come back to and say is that one of the biggest gifts you can give another person is believing in them because it makes such an incredible difference I mean like you were mentioning before I think was it a teacher or someone who just allowed you to be yourself like what's a story can you remember a person in your life whether it was in a work or a school environment where they believed in you and that gave you a confidence that you might not have had otherwise Honestly, it was pretty much all my high school teachers. And like I said, that's why I'm still, I'm generally still friends with them. Like we get up, we get together for coffee, we message each other, we keep up with each other. And that is because one instance is my English teacher. I was doing, I think this was year 13 or 12, one or the other. And I was doing my speech and I was, I, I, they knew I usually didn't settle for less than excellence. They knew that I would genuinely like be on the case and be like, okay, what do I need to do? what do I need to do? Like get feedback like 50 times before I handed it in. But this one time it was when we were working on my public speaking or in general, my speaking. And the reason now that I look back on it, the reason it was so hard for me to do well on that speech was because we were being recorded. And I, as any teenager had really bad body issues. And I hated that I had to record myself and then watch myself back and then look at everything that I didn't want to look at. And so I just was the whole time I was just trying to get through it. I was just trying to get through it and I kept getting a merit and I was like Mr. Ferguson I'm I'm literally fine with the merit please just make this end and he made me resubmit it I'm not sure if I'm allowed to share this um I think he knows <laughs> um resubmit it four times he made me wow. resub my, my internal yeah he made me resub my internal four times until I got excellence and he was like I don't care like I know you've got this and I'm like I'm done I'm happy with the merit please leave me alone and it was just that belief that they all had in me. My media teacher, also English teacher, like she, I, she would on. I think she pushed me to do media scholarship. Like she would on constantly. Like they, they taught me 
how it feels when people mention your names in rooms of opportunities. My media teacher said to year 12 class when I was in year 13 that Haya doesn't set um, the exemplar, she makes the exemplar. Like it was just that like they didn't put anyone down when they were supporting me. They were just they were just confidently believing that all these crazy ideas I was coming with, this this um way that I was moving forward, the way I wanted to be, they they were just there. And they were cheerleaders and they were like they were always like, Okay, how do we get you there? And to me that was a support system. And because I've gone on further in life, I find myself when I genuinely am content with people around me, it's when we're all each other's support system in that way. It's like, you, you know, someone's potential and you're not going to let them just settle and you are going to push them until they get to that potential. And that's the people I like to be around. That's the person I like to be when I'm around other people. It's like, you, yeah, you're doing okay, but I know you can do better. So let's, let's work on that. Like, why are we not getting there? What, what, what tools do you need? so that we can get you there. Do you think those lessons and that support system influenced the creation and I guess the running of Masala Bazaar? A hundred percent, hundred percent. Like I think um, the fact that whenever I wanted, we used to do this massive media assignment for our um, media studies class and it was, we basically had to create like a newspaper from scratch um, and we had to do like, this whole portfolio and I think I wanted to go way off the brief because I had this idea and instead of instead of telling me you know that's not really what the curriculum is my teacher was like I believe in you just do it as long as you know as long as you finish it and even then I think we didn't have a school newspaper then and I went to her and I was like I want to do a newspaper she's like okay you can use my classroom like it was always that like that fostering that like you know it's such a developmental age now that I think back to it when you're in high school like you've already got so much going on in life and it's such a developmental age for your teachers to make you feel like be as delusional as you like be as creative as you like like we're here we're we're going to support you like I think that did wonders for my confidence because going into uni after that and having to play by the book and having to like have no room for creativity I think that was that was definitely something that should have been foreshadowing that I wasn't going to stay in a job for very long. I love that so much. And I can relate a lot because it has felt like in my high school experience. Mm -hmm. And it's so funny because I went to a school just a few suburbs away from yours. And I know that your school quite chill. And I know that mine had a rep for being quite not. (laughs) And, um, and, but it was the teachers that, were the ones that allowed us to express ourselves in whatever way we wanted to through our work that was the most memorable and the most exciting and made me feel I don't know I enjoyed myself most and it it brought back memories to the class that I enjoyed the most was business studies and that's because the teacher we had was so relaxed and he hadn't been a teacher his whole life he had actually worked outside of school and then came in his later kind of career years to be a teacher which I think made a massive difference as well because it was like this guy kind of has been out in the working world outside of being a teacher and so can kind of see the relevance of the lessons outside and understands that for you to be able to explore your own creative 
capacity um, that's going to help you so much in being able to problem solve and do all of these things but it also just helps you feel like the work you're doing means something to you as an individual as opposed to means something only to the school 100% I completely agree and yeah we did have a reputation for being relaxed and um but that's a whole separate topic (laughs) but no (laughs) you just need real life experience to raise students I guess that are very engaged in what they do so how do you and well I guess it's it's really cool because now you have Masala Bazaar which acts as that um, catalyst for business owners and entrepreneurs to connect and and to have those opportunities and you kind of act almost in the business acts as this mentor for other people yeah it is yeah it's um it's a real full circle moment but obviously like it took a while to get here like I did I did my own business masala since for since 2018 before we got here right I did masala since for four years till before we got here and I I didn't realize how much I knew until I started started talking to people who were just getting started and I was like oh dear god there is and this information again I had to figure it out myself as well like I remember when I was just trying to set up a New Zealand Post business account um and I was on the phone trying to set up a business account because I was a small business but I wasn't sending out orders on orders every day the lady straight up denied me a business account which made no sense to me I'm like I have a business number I'm registered for tax I'm running a business why can't I open a business account? And that was the most shocking experience for me. So things like that, like hurdles that I went through over four years. And just yesterday, I think I was having conversations with two of the vendors I work with, and we were talking about how to get them to the next step and how to get them to um, ready for Christmas and how to get them like what their customer base is. And again, it's just so wild to me to be in that mentorship position because I never intended to be. It just so happened. And it's, it's you know, I'm very candid with everyone I work with. I'm like, I'm not perfect. And I'm not like, I have, I still have so much learning to do myself. But as far as I have come, I, I'm here for you to get you to at least as far as I've come. But it, it, it really takes someone, it really, sometimes you just either have a business mindset or you don't, is what I've learned. In this full circle moment where I've come back looking for a mentor, but become that mentor, um, I'm just learning a lot myself and and we just I guess hopefully someone will come along that I can learn from as well yeah who are your mentors now do you kind of have them within within your business or are you looking for them like who would you say your mentors are now honestly like um someone who I have always followed and see like you know learned a lot from when it comes to business is I'm not sure if you've seen her but business coach Sarah Airy so I yeah so Sarah's amazing at what she does and she's a fellow Swifty so you know love that. Um, yeah so I, I've I love learning from her and so definitely someone who I guess taught me a lot in terms of building the marketing and branding side was her I mean along with obviously my own um my own degree in comms someone else who really mentored me is now one of my best friends that used to be my manager when I was in retail and like I just learned a lot just watching her like she she handled 
Karen customers with Grace with a baby in her hand. Mm. And I'm not sure what her age was. She looked remarkably young and she's still remarkably young. But, um, you know, she wouldn't at the time she was older, but she wouldn't have looked a day over maybe 19. And she just I just saw her resilience. I saw her saw her get on with the day. I saw her still manage everything. And I think I learned a lot from that. Because the one question I get all the time is like, how do you do it all? And I'm like, because I've seen women that I admire that are, you know, absolutely amazing do it all. And that's where I'm learning. But I still think there's room for a mentor. I think um, me and I was talking about this with um, MP Vanushi Volters and MP Priyanka Radhakrishnan and Nancy Chen that I said the same thing that as much as there is room for improvement for everything else, there's room for improvement for mentorship because you we have gotten to places with Masala Bazaar that in New Zealand other South Asian entrepreneurs haven't in the past, especially our age. And so the experience, again, that the people that are above us may have is not necessarily what we have. So you get to a point on the ladder and you're like, I know I can get up, but how? And mm-hmm. I, how, how do I take the same route which still aligns with my values, which still aligns with where I want to end up with, which still aligns with the type of person I see myself becoming? So it's not necessary that there's no mentors. It's just that they don't always align with where we want to end up to be. It is incredibly difficult to find you know mentors that you align with because you're exactly right in that you you might want to grow and you might want to develop but you still want to do it in a way that's authentic to you and you don't want to have to shift that in order to grow so working out how you do that is a challenge in business and life I think as well Mm, exactly because it's not there's no shortage of business mentors in its sense but business mentors that will like do you admire them as a person right they may be great at their business and they may have built an amazing business and they know all the tips of the trick but do you like for me it's not just about that it's about everything holistically like are those the reason I say admire them as a person is are those the values you're willing to adopt in order to get ahead again it's very interesting being in a situation where we're community over competition where we're businesses that work with each other because the one thing I weed through when I work with people is is this person in it for just themselves or do they recognize the bigger thing at play here? Because to me, I'm like, I am here every single day and, you know, everyone pays a portion of rent to be in store. It's not like we're wholesaled off of them. So essentially, yeah, you would be looking out for your own profit, but I'm here every day building this community in order for everyone to have a space. So if you're going to come into the community, you also need to have that mindset right? We always try to limit competition where possible. But if there is one or two other brands like yours that aren't exactly the same, but are similar, how are you going to navigate that and support one another because of the common denominator that you both come from the same background and business and you're both starting out in the same place? How are you going to navigate that? And I guess that's, we don't have mentors like that. Because again, we're all in it for ourselves, which is fair enough as business, right? We're all in it for ourselves. But there is an aspect of, I always come up, I'm like one, I forgot to talk about this, but back home in markets, you would have seen that whenever there's a bazaar or like, you know, a proper market, I've grown up with my uncles having shops. And if some, if they didn't have something a customer wanted, they would send the customer to their next door neighbor. Even if they did have something, if they knew their next door neighbors was like struggling or whatever, or they, they would just share customers around, right? They never felt 
that because someone's shopping from that person, they're not going to come to me or that th- I never felt comp- I used to grow. I literally like grew up at the, in, in the back room of my um, adopted grandpa's, uh, you know, uh, namesake grandpa, family friend, uh, shop, bangle shop. And next, a couple doors down from him, my own uncle had a shoe shop. And so I grew up around that. And what comes back to me over and over again is this, this is how our families grew up doing business. So why do we then step away from that narrative and become cutthroat? And it doesn't like, you know, there's no, why is there no community? Because mm. if someone, the customer doesn't care, right? They care about the product. They care about what you're offering. So if you don't happen to have the product, but another person does, was that really your customer to begin with? I love that perspective so much. I'm massive on being in business because you have a strong purpose and being kind of community and impact led Mm. and really driven by that why. And if community is a value of yours, then competition is is not seen in the typical way where you want to win, you want everyone to win. And, you know, just because someone else wins doesn't mean you don't and and vice versa. Like I think having that perspective um, Mm. is just such an important thing and and definitely a way that I want to be involved in business. And I love that so much. And I think you might have quite a unique perspective on this question, which is, to you amongst all of these challenges what have you seen creates a successful business you know what what helps to build that sense of community Mm. as opposed to that sense of winning Mm. I think it comes back to what you were just talking about and it was that you have a purpose because customers and uh, sorry, consumers can see that, right? Whether that with, we're customer or consumer, we're seeing this in um, retail stores, we're seeing this in department stores, we're seeing this overall with society. We prefer to purchase from brands or consume brands or what we what we consume in our mind, what we put on our bodies, what we put on our faces, whatever. We need a purpose, right? So at the end of the day the main thing that makes a brand successful is that you actually have a purpose behind what you're doing because, and it's not just a purpose. The purpose can't be just making money, right? Like obviously we're in business or um, a creative path to make money, but it has to be something bigger. Like, is it fulfilling you? Is it something, is it filling a need? For me, I did South Asian candles to start with because one, it wasn't being done anywhere else. Two, there was nothing like in the New Zealand market. We were so far removed from America, Australia, everything like that. And three, because I genuinely wanted to create candles that were good quality because I was I was I had my candle obsession at the time and I was buying all of these different ones and there was just stuff that was missing the mark. And those were all my purposes, which led me to where I am today because I didn't focus on trying to create a product that I can sell the fastest and get into retail stores and scale it up to this massive factory because... Yes, that is most people's goal when they start a new product-based business. But I look at it as, okay, can I run this business without doing all of that, still make the same impact, maybe not make as much money, but in the long term, create such an impact 
that through other opportunities I can generate that money mm-hmm. because you don't because then the whole environmental concept comes into it right and I might go off on a little tangent it's like we even today with all of the effects of global warming I still hear people in you know successful business positions being like how quickly can you scale this product I'm like do we have enough land left on the earth to build more factories like if everyone who's starting a product-based business set the goal of setting up a factory for more products like theirs can we just park that conversation for a little bit because there is not enough room for every one of us to have a factory or you know like style like it's just yeah sorry slow consumption I'm all about slow consumption and it just yeah grinds my gears no I I love your perspective once again I'm gonna say it again because to me it's so much more important to have that long-term focus of what you're doing and and what you're describing yeah is that conscious business like asking yourself the question of okay if we do want to scale this what does that look like and what is that impact on people not just now not just in the near term but years and years and years and years down the line exactly exactly like what and that's what makes a business successful right like purpose because if you have a purpose then you know where you're taking your business you know where it's going you know what um you know what the next five years look like and that's something i can't i'm starting to have conversations with the vendors i have in store with like okay what does the next year look like for us now and sometimes they don't even know and i'm like okay we need to fix that because then that means you and customers can see right through it right um sometimes i'll make posts on tiktok just to see i'll make a post that's just blatantly selling them something and that usually doesn't perform as well as when i'm actually talking about why you should care about what we're selling in store right Mm. i'm not and and my purpose behind whenever i create content around what's in store is never just to sell it is genuinely because again the vendors i take on in store the people i work with i have to care about their products again if i don't care about them our business won't be successful because it'll be obvious so if if you have a purpose whether that is social psychological um solving a customer problem you just need to build a community around your business and i think that's what really makes it successful Mm. yeah those businesses that are purpose-led community driven are Mm. not only going to be more successful from a long-term point of view but they are the the ones that are going to make some kind of change which I think is why is how business should be used anyway as like a vehicle to drive something bigger than just the production of something or the earning of money exactly and I think I don't know about I don't know if you feel the same way but the more I started to grow as a business the less I found myself consuming products like just for the sake of consuming and it was just because I guess I got so mindful of the production process I got so mindful of expenses I got so mindful of like glitzy glamorous packaging that I started to filter down to like what is it that I really need and I went to have conversations with customers when I have conversations with other friends and business they feel the same way so to me now when I do observe behavior um that you know someone removed from the business world and I see their methods of consumption or I see their methods of um 
buying into trends or something that's new it's always so fascinating to me because i'm like we as business owners hold that power so how are we going to use that hi you are an amazing woman and i love everything you're doing it's so important and in the way you the way you are doing it is is so important the reasons behind what you're doing is so important and i'm just stoked that we got to have this conversation i do want to end on a bit of a quick fire question though for you and that is you know, amongst everything, when we're trying to build these conscious businesses and we're trying to think long term, but we're just at the start of our journey, you know, it might be at the side hustle or the passion projects to stage. And, you know, we're in a time where people are struggling with money. Maybe they can't put as much into these projects. What would be your advice to those starting entrepreneurs? Like what should be their focus in terms of growing their business? Just grow your audience. Just grow your loyal base. I talk about this all the time on Masala since I think I need to talk about it again. I haven't in a while. I didn't have packaging when I started. I think I started with about $200 to $300 and I was working in retail. I didn't even have a full-time job. Um, And that was literally because I was like, I just want to get started. And I did this whole like Excel sheet to just work out what I would make. Don't focus too much on trying to look like the most professional brand out there. Don't try to look... just get started and on a financial aspect keep cash on hand the biggest mistake i see businesses make when they're starting out one of the biggest mistakes is just putting too much money straight away into packaging when they start to look legit and i'm like if people think you're too legit and you're starting out that's a whole if you don't have the time to invest into marketing and branding and constant social media presence and you look legit people are then going to think you're fake and all your money's gone Focus on taking customers on that journey with you. Of I started out, this is my, just start and then take your customers on your journey with you to get to the point where you are more legit, you're more packaging. It took me four years to get proper branded boxes for my candles. And that's something my community appreciates now because they remember how they used to get their orders and they still loved it, right? Save costs where you can because we are heading towards a recession or are in a recession, stuff is expensive. Really think about whether you need to spend on all that extra packaging, all those extra things that are just going to end up in landfill. Get creative with how you're generating revenue. And the main thing is just start moving products, start building a customer base. Listen, You don't have to have the perfect product to get started or service to get started. Listen to your customers. And when people see a new idea or someone starting out, they're more willing to support it than someone who looks like they've got it all together. So just get started. Amazing. Haya, thank you for your time today. Thank you also for your perspective and for sharing it with all of us. It's beyond appreciated. And I've really, really been inspired by you. So I just, yeah, thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you for having me, Sarah. I had a great time and I'm so glad we got to do this. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The One Up Project. If you want to find more stuff just like this, check out our other apps or follow us at The One Up Project on Instagram or TikTok. See you there.